If you have your Bibles, would you please go with me to Daniel chapter 1. We begin a new series today here in the book of Daniel, and um, I got to tell you, I, um, I think you probably know this about me, but one of the, uh, my favorite things to do is to preach the Word of God, and it's been a while. And so I'm just asking the Lord to bless this time uh, together in his word as we get into this new series. I felt led before I went on sabbatical that when I come back, we're going to get into the book of Daniel. And so that's our plan here for a couple of months before missions month. And so I'm excited uh, to preach the word. And I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing and anointing on this series. And um, before we get into the word today and this message together... Let's just take a moment to settle our hearts. That allows me to settle mine, too. I've, I'm kind of just excited and some butterflies and stuff. So I told somebody this morning, I said, I feel like that little wound-up kangaroo, you know, and you set it and it does flips, you know. I said, that's kind of where I'm at today. And so I just need the Lord to, to kind of settle that uh, that's going on inside of me here this morning. Would you pray with me before we begin? Father, we come to you. We want to hear. From you, And you speak to us through your word, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account of Daniel and the ways in which you moved in these people's lives. And as we take time here over the next couple of months to study the word, we're trusting that you're going to speak to us. You're going to shape our hearts. You're going to cause us to love you even more than we already do. You're going to show us things in our lives that you want to, to help and, and speak to. You want to bring encouragement. You want to bring hope. And I pray, Father, that you would do whatever you want to do in each of our hearts. Please anoint this time in your word. We ask your blessing upon this now. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would prepare all of our hearts, including mine, Lord, just what you've placed on my heart to share. May it flow freely. And I just lift this to you. We ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, so a little bit of uh, an intro, if you will, to this book before we begin reading right away here in chapter 1. But this story, if you will, the, the, the things that are going to be happening take place in this uh, empire, if you will, called Babylon. And um, the Jewish people had been taken captive by Babylon. And there's actually, I mean, if you want to go and see some of the locations that are referenced here in the book of Daniel, you can do that in modern-day Iraq. And so these things happened. These things truly are places you can go and visit. And um, so just to set the location there... And what Revelation, the book of Revelation is to the New Testament, Daniel would be like that in the Old Testament. Okay, This book, the first six chapters, actually walk through different uh, accounts, things that happen. And we'll navigate that over about the next six weeks. And then we'll take the final two weeks of this series to touch on the prophecy that's given from Daniel 7 through 12. And that's kind of where you you could liken it to the book of Revelation. And there's things in those uh, second half of Daniel, if you will, where he's going to address things that are going to happen in the future yet. Things that have yet to transpire here on this earth. Right away, we're introduced to this young man named Daniel. He's a teenager. Any teenagers in the room right now? You got to wake up. Come on. 
teenagers, raise that hand. There you go, if you're brave enough to, to raise your hand. These teens were taken 500 miles away from their home and plopped into this city. You can imagine the, the culture shock and all the things they were experiencing. And I tried to kind of give us maybe a, a bit of a, a modern-day example of this. But imagine pulling the bus up and saying, teens, get on that thing, and we're going to ship them off to downtown Chicago, and we're going to say, see you later, and the bus takes off back home, and they need to figure life out in a city like that. These rural individuals plopped into that kind of culture. So you can imagine a little bit of what these teens might be experiencing. And we're introduced to several teens right out the gate. This teen named Daniel, and then he's also got three friends. And we'll see what their names are here in a moment as we walk through this book. So if you have your Bibles, Daniel 1 is where we're starting here in verse 1. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And he said, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking men. How many men would be guilty of that here this morning? Oh, got a hand up. All right. There you go. And then it says, make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, and they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. It says, if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Then Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said, please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. 
The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters of his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. All right, let's start unpacking this. And we're going to walk through here verse by verse or section by section. And so we start here looking at verses 1 and 2. And you need to know something about what is going on with God's people, the Jews. God is bringing about divine consequence. He had warned them time and time again, you are living in disobedience. You need to change. You need to come back to me. You need to repent. And you need to make me a big deal, not all these other things. And the idol worship that you're involved in, you need to rid yourself of all of that. You need to become holy and set apart. And I am holy and I am to be worshipped. And these warnings would come. And, and now there's some divine consequence where they're being taken into captivity. And you know that it's divine consequence. This is from the hand of God because if you look right away there, it says that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar, victory. The Lord is behind this. And he used this enemy king to carry out the consequences for this disobedience that Israel was doing. I want you to hang on to that. I'm going to come back to that a couple more times here in this message. But you see, Daniel and his three friends, they are in a whole new world. This is, this is, what do you do? I mean, this is a whole different place, and, and they're being told, train these young men in our language and in our literature. And there was even a point where they said, well, you need to do this for three years, and then we would consider you for the royal service. You know, what's interesting is the men that were taken and chosen to be captives, if you will, first in line, they would take the, the choice men from this nation that they had sieged. And they would bring these choice men back and they said, all right, let's just saturate them in our culture. And when we bring them out in this three-year period, they'll be ready. These are extremely qualified leaders and we need them because our empire is going to continue to grow. And that's what they did with these guys. It was, if I was to describe it the best way I can for us today, imagine shipping your teens off into college. Many families, you've done that in the last month or so, but you, you send them off into that, that big old world where there's all kinds of things at their fingertips, and they're being completely saturated, if you will, in the culture. 
and the, the literature, the training of the things in our culture. And that's what these guys were facing. And then they get a name change. And so you see Daniel, his name goes to Belteshazzar, Hananiah goes to Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. You know, it's interesting, their, their original names, that'd be their Hebrew names, and they all have a very godly meaning. Daniel's name means God is my judge. And Hananiah's name means the Lord is gracious. And Mishael's name means who is like the Lord. And then Azariah's name means the Lord is my helper. And they get into this new culture and this Babylonian pagan culture. They're like, we need to change their names. And we're going to switch them. And they switched them to these names that actually are attached to pagan worship. And so the Belteshazzar, and then you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their names are like that because they were trying to basically change them. To change them. You know, and I'm thinking through this a little bit uh, of, of what the enemy tries to do in our life. The enemy, now I'm going to talk on a spiritual sense here, Satan, his army, he wants to place labels on each and every one of God's chosen people. And he wants to change your identity and get your mind off of the fact that your identity is in Christ. And instead he speaks lies over you. Just as these names were lies over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The enemy tries to speak those things over us. And you think about it. Sometimes people feel like they're known for the mistakes that they've made in their life. And we live in a small town area. And people make mistakes. And then they feel the weight of that label that the enemy puts on us. And people around us. And they say, oh yeah, I know them. They fill in the blank. The enemy uses that. And so sometimes people, when they go from making mistakes, then they actually start to take on that label and that identity. And they actually go, actually, I'm a mistake. Or I'm a failure. Don't let the enemy change your identity. And even though the culture may slap labels on you, know who you are in Christ. And these young men, they, they knew whose they were. They were in the Lord. And they had to make some decisions. And you see Daniel making a very clear, conscious decision about who he was going to serve while he was in this culture. And you see it here with the verse of the week, Daniel 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. He resolved not to to defile himself. You know, other translations with this verse use words like this. He purposed. He purposed. Another translation says he determined. He's in this culture, but he determined, I'm not going to be like the culture. Another translation is he made up his mind. I like that one. Turn to your neighbor and say, make up your mind. 
<laughs> Perhaps you've heard that, that song from way back, Did You Ever Have to Make Up Your Mind? Well, I ask that question of us today. Have you ever made up your mind, resolved in your heart, purposed in your heart, determined in your heart, I am going to live for the Lord no matter what the culture is around me? And so we fix our convictions so we don't fall into compromise. We fix our convictions so we don't fall into compromise. you got to drive that stake into the ground. Jesus is my Lord, which means he calls the shots. And I'm going to live for him. You know, it's, I would say, easier to resist temptation if you've driven that stake in the ground. Where you know you're going to stand. You say, this is where I'm going to stand, and I'm not going to go anywhere. The culture is not going to have me take a step where I should not go. But you have to resolve that in your heart. You have to make up your mind on that. Think of it this way. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. You know, a, a thermometer would test the room's temperature and that you get a read on it, right? But a thermostat, they set the temperature. And so use that conviction to say, this is what is godly, this is what is holy, I'm going to stand for those things, and I'm going to try to make a difference in the midst of the culture that I find myself in. Now, I said I was going to come back to that first section of the divine consequence. I want you to think about this. I thought through this this week. Daniel, I think, if he's anything like me and my flesh, he could have started making excuses to become casual. I mean, think of his circumstances. Yanked from his home, taken 500 miles away, dropped into this culture. He is like a fish out of water. And I'm sure being in captivity, you know, you don't have that freedom you used to, and and you're just like, Lord, forget this. You know, because of my circumstances, why should I pound a stake in the ground? Aren't you good? Look at what's going on. This is a very real thing that people walk through when they feel like they're not getting a fair shake, if you will. And they say, well, I don't think being holy is worth it because God doesn't care. That could have been Daniel's position. But we see that he said, I'm going to focus on what the Lord would want. I'm going to make up my mind. And what happens when you do that in the midst of a culture that doesn't fear God, that hasn't made up their mind spiritually? Something interesting takes place. God starts to use that. It's not in vain. 
It's like I, I don't just fear God and, and, you know, hope that he uses that. Just know God uses it. He uses it. We see Daniel's faith on display. Specifically in verse 9 and 10, I want to point this out. It says, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Look at God giving him favor in the midst of a culture that could care less about God. God is doing something. Even when we're like, I I don't know, what could God do with this? And what's interesting, too, is when faith is on display. You know those labels I talked about the enemy giving us, right? When you start living your faith out in the midst of a culture that does not live for Christ, they may start throwing labels at you. You know, the word Christian, it came about based on the outsiders looking at these believers in Jesus Christ. It wasn't like a bunch of early church people just said, you know what, I want to make a point. We took a poll, 86% of us are Christians. We just want to take that moment. It was the people on the outside looking at these people who were sold out for Jesus and and they just said, these Christians, they attached the name of Christ to these people. The people on the outside look at us and they go, something's different about that person. And there's some people that don't know what to do with that. There's some people that might be turned off by that. But if you believe that living for Christ is not in vain, then you can trust that God is actually using your walk with him to influence somebody around you. You have no idea what God is doing in people's hearts. God gave the chief of staff a respect for Daniel and an affection for Daniel. Faith on display. There's this idea that Daniel has. Let's have a little test here with the food situation. That's what we're debating here. And so then you see this diet rolled out. Daniel says, test us for 10 days, right? On this diet of vegetables, some translations also say pulse and water. And if you're like, pulse. The word pulse is actually a word for beans or seeds. Something interesting there. So on the screen you'll see here maybe a, a diet today of what this could look like. But this diet would include foods like whole grains, fruits, vegetables, things that are, are plant-based. Now, why would Daniel create this as his diet when you know, he does have permission to eat more than that? But when he brought, was brought into this kingdom, the Babylonian diet did not fit completely with God's law and what they were allowed to eat. God had specifically forbidden foods that were devoted or dedicated to idol worship. And this pagan culture was absolutely filled with this. The other thing to know, too, is that there were specific foods that God did say don't eat to the Jewish people, and that culture would have been eating it, even if it wasn't dedicated to idols. There's food on the menu that Daniel should not eat. 
And so he creates this diet that would be allowed, and he said, test us in this. And so you see some of those foods. Some of you are like, I could probably eat that. You know, during the sabbatical, I did this diet for 10 days. And let me tell you the celebratory meal at the end of this. (laughs) Yes. But I'll tell you, it was at times like a fish out of water. We, we went to Sports Page as a family, and I'm watching them order these amazing meals that I would normally just love to partake in. And I had to go back and forth with the waitress just walking through the menu. I'm just like, I, I, don't, I just finally said, I'll just, I'll have water. And, and she's like, no, we can work this out. And we did eventually come to, to something that I could eat, and I'm just like, I can't imagine being in this culture where it's all around you and you got to make a decision. And part of the reason why I tried this was because I wanted to just a little bit of an experience of what Daniel had to say no to. I think the worst of it, the last day of this diet, my family, we were at Soldier Field in Chicago at a Bears game. And if you've ever been to a game, you got the aroma of like Polish sausage and, and hot dogs and I went to the concessions for my family, but I didn't partake in that stuff. I had like some peanuts, you know, and, uh, but I felt that, that saying no to things. And, you know, I, from my end, I will say after the 10 days, I did feel better. I felt healthier. And so there's some value to what Daniel was saying no to. And if there's anybody right now that's like, maybe I should try that, I'll just warn you, it's a bit of a gas. Then we'll leave it at that, okay? (laughs) So in Daniel's resolving in his heart to live for the Lord in the midst of a culture that is not, I want you to notice what happens here in these last verses, 17 through 21. There's divine favor that is going on here. You close out with that statement, the king found these men ten times more capable, ten times more capable than any of these other people that were serving the king. And we see verse 17, God gave these men the aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And the king was so impressed with them and they were able to enter the royal service. And I look at that Statement, and I think that's a principle in life. That if you choose to resolve in your heart, I'm going to follow the Lord in the midst of a culture that is not. God will bless that. Amen? Amen. So here's just a few takeaways in closing with today's message. The first one is this. This is a principle, and I believe this with all my heart, and this is a bit of a theme throughout the book of Daniel. 
God honors the right decision. God honors the right decision. Daniel made the right decision despite the pressure and the things he probably had to wrestle with while he was in captivity. But he made that choice. I'm going to make a bigger deal about what God would want than what this culture is demanding of me. And God honored that. We have the privilege to see how this plays out. But that's true for everyone who purposes in their heart to follow the Lord. God honors the right decision. Another takeaway is this. Godly friends, they are a gift from above. I know chapter 1, verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved in his heart. But you also see that when Daniel talked about going on this 10-day diet, he said, test us. Who do you think he was including in that test? His three friends. Daniel was not alone. He had accountability. He had encouragement. And that is huge as we all walk in a culture that's not holy. You need people around you to help build you up. And I want to really make a big deal out of this point to any of our young individuals listening. Who you choose as friends will greatly influence the direction of your life. There are some really wise people in this room that could say amen to that. Who you choose to be friends with will greatly influence the direction of your life. Choose wisely. Pick those friends that are godly and that will keep you on the right track as you walk through this journey. The last is this. God is looking for devoted followers. He's looking for people who are going to purpose in their heart to live for him. Pastor Dave opened the service with this verse, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for the modern day Daniels He's looking for the modern day Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He's looking for these people that are going to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Will he find us as that kind of person? Before we close in prayer, I just simply ask the question, what is the Spirit of God saying to you through Daniel chapter 1. And as we pray to close, I'm just going to ask the Lord to, to stir that up and by His grace cause us 
to walk as people who have made up their mind to live for him. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you so much for this account. Daniel and his three friends, they made up their mind and you used them. You put favor upon their life. And this is just the beginning of the story and we're going to watch how these things play out. But Lord, you're writing a story in each and every one of our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who've made up our mind to follow Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter what the people around us might say, but we resolve in our heart to be followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be encouragement to anyone who feels like they're navigating a culture, a workplace, a, a, a home situation, whatever it might be, Lord, where it just feels like it's not God-honoring. That person may be the only light that directs people to Jesus. And I pray that you would use them to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, surround us with godly friends who we can walk this faith journey with. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to make the right decision because I know you honor that. It's possible there's someone listening right now as they think through their life and they wonder, has there ever been a point where I said, I want to follow Jesus? It's possible the Spirit of God is speaking to that person right now, leading them to this place of a heart transformation, becoming a follower of Christ. If you desire that, would you simply pray with me right now? Right where you're at, right in your heart. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord. And I want you to be my Savior. Please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. And make me a new creation that is responsive to your word and to your spirit. Help me to walk out this new life in Christ. Lord, we thank you for these things now. To you be the glory, honor, and praise. Amen.